Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to The Liquidator. Welcome back to The Liquidator, the strictly 100% unofficial fan-powered West Bromwich Albion podcast. After what seems like an age, I was buttonholed politely by a chap called Ian in the Halfords yesterday. He said, you said you'd have one a couple of weeks into the World Cup. I'm sorry, Ian, but you know, we enjoy having our Sunday nights off when the baggies aren't playing. So here we are. Glad to be back anyway, after two terrific wins, five in a row now in total under Carlos Corboran. Delighted to say I'm joined as usual by the author of From Bazarglo to Ballis, Chris Lepkowski. How are you doing, Chris? You are right? Yeah, good, thank you. You? Good, good. And uh, we'll talk about the World Cup. You've probably been a bit more engrossed in it than I have, but we've got to reflect first on Albion. <laughs> what struck me about the victory against Rotherham and I mean this in a good way, was how routine it felt. Albion were just miles better than a club who were possibly destined for League One next season and really didn't have to break sweat. I was much more impressed as a performance by the second half against Sunderland, which I thought was terrific. And we really looked an, an excellent side in the second half in the northeast. But the fact that you can beat a team like Rotherham relatively easily, without even playing particularly well, that says something of the about the progress that we've made under Corporan. It is, and it really reflects, well, it reflects badly on Steve Bruce that we were ever in such a poor position. But it also reflects on the, the skills of Corboran that in such a short space of time, we look utterly transformed. I think he's been helped a little bit by one or two players returning to fitness and sharpness. But you you have to admire the work he's done. We looked a little bit leggy, if that's the right word. Maybe not fully at it against Sunderland in the first half, but that's a little bit understandable. I was a bit shocked that the Football League allowed Millwall and Sunderland to kick off a week early. And I think that was reflected really by the sharpness that Sunderland had against us in that first half. I felt in the second half, we we transformed the whole dynamic of the game. I thought we were a lot sharper, a lot quicker, played with more intensity. I thought the substitutes worked out brilliantly. And by the way, he's becoming a master of that, you know, in the two games since we've come back. Every substitution has had an impact of some sort, which is exactly what you want from your manager. When you think back to the dark days of Valerian Ismail and the substitutions every week at 60 minutes and it was like for like but now we've finally got a manager who who thinks about how he's going to change a game rather than doing so through routine and you know the the measures he's put in place the the substitutions he's making the teams he's selecting are working and I've said this in the past and now more than ever it's very obvious that this is a 16-man game you pick your 11 at the start and you know that you can change half the team during the game. And we have got the strength in depth right now to do so and do so relatively well. And, you know, we have been critical of the players in the past and I think justifiably so, but some of those players are now showing that actually they can really produce and they've bought into what this new manager wants them to do. Matt Phillips took some stick on social media after the game and I didn't quite understand that. For me, Phillips played the kind of role that 
obviously Corbran wants him to do, which is sitting a little bit deeper. You know, he isn't the flying winger that maybe we once thought of him as. He was a relatively deep-lying left-sided midfielder, but in a midfield which had some terrific attacking talents in Rogic and Swift. So Phillips doesn't need to do the scampering down the wing that he once did. He was on his, in inverted commas, wrong side as well, playing left side. And I felt he provided real cover for Connor Townsend, and Townsend was able to get forward on more occasions, which I think is when he is most effective. Phillips also had a hand in the first goal. It was a little layoff to Rogic. There was a brilliant moment of skill from Rogic. I don't know if many fans clocked it. I've not seen that much discussion about it, but he flicked it over his shoulder, took out a Rotherham defender, and then laid the brilliant left-footed pass through to Jed Wallace. So Phillips had a hand in that move, and I actually thought he played well. I thought he did some of the dirty stuff, got back, just covered, tackled. And if you look at the options for left side midfield, which are Carlin Grants, who I think most fans would agree doesn't really apply himself. You look at Grady Diangana, who's often played on the left. Diangana does apply himself, but just isn't very good defensively. I thought that Phillips put in a real shift and deserves some credit for maintaining his improvement under Corbyn. Not even a mention of Adam Reach. Gosh, um, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Although he's, he is one of the squad, clearly. He is, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was waiting for you to mention him, but you're right. He, his time seems to be not in the first team picture anymore. I thought Phillips was important to that win in so much that, you, as you rightly say, he offered cover in the way that Dean Garner wouldn't. And, and that's not a criticism of Dean Garner, but it's just his natural game to attack more and to take up a role further up the pitch. That first goal, by the way, I have retweeted it on Sunday morning. It is an absolutely beautiful goal. The actual pass from Rogic, he doesn't break stride. He doesn't break, change his pace. It's almost a, a moment of impulse. The, the ball sort of is just released by him naturally and perfectly into the space to find Wallace. And it was a great finish by Wallace because you still have to complete the job, as it were, by converting. But I thought the pass by Rogic was just utterly superb. One of the best I've seen for a long time. And it's really good to see him now fully firing. I've said it before that I've seen a little bit of him at Celtic. I've got friends who've seen a lot of him at Celtic. And they were really raving about him when when we signed him. And obviously he wasn't fit for a long time. I think, luckily, he didn't play in the World Cup, which was probably good for us, if not for him. And that whole decision to sign him in the first place is fully justified. And um, it just goes to show, really, that when this squad is fully fit, we've got so many different options. And it really does stress the, the need not to maybe get too concerned when you see the team at 2pm on a Saturday because we have so many different players and types of players that we can utilise during a game should we need to that we now have a manager and a coach where you feel confident that the player coming on will will have an impact and it's a long time since we've had that. Having raved over the brilliant second half performance against Sunderland, some people who listened to my liquidator live after that game, I've watched it down the pub, may have de- detected a hint of merriness in my voice. Let me just emphasise, I was high on life, Chris, after that game. But <laughs> it, it was it was so good. 
And yet, what does Corbrand do? He makes two changes to that lineup. That's bold management. We all know the the old cliche that you don't change a winning team. And it's a thought that generally I have some sympathy with, actually, because I think it's based on the idea that if the 11 who've started have done the job and have got the result, then they deserve a little bit of credit and deserve the chance to have the opportunity to succeed again or fail. So broadly, I do like the idea of not changing a winning team. But what do I know? I think it also, it's the things you don't see during the week, during the whole process of of selecting the team. We don't see the stats. We don't see the analytics of how the players are recovering, how their fitness is, how they are physically even mentally, maybe, you know, they might be drained because, you know, things going on in their lives or things, the weariness of a previous game. You know, you're treating this period now in many respects like a new season. And I think that is going to be reflected by the team selections in the coming weeks because it is going to be hectic. We are going to be playing a lot of football. And I think it's sensible management. And it shows a confidence, actually, that Corbran has in this group of individuals that, he can make those changes. He can bring in Rogic and DK and be confident they'll perform. And I think that's bold. It's not even bold management. It's a confidence that he has in the group of individuals, having worked with them for a few weeks, which we really needed and, and is now being shown on the field on a Saturday and on a Wednesday whenever we play. It shows that actually he's got that full backing in the players and that's important. Yeah, and I think it partly comes back to the the fact that we do have an 18-man squad and you can use five of them. So if a player doesn't start, like Thomas Asante against Rotherham, he can be fairly sure he's going to get half an hour because they're still nursing DK back to full fitness. But I still thought it was quite bold of Corboran. And clearly DK is the number one striker when fully fit, I would suggest, but there is still a role for Thomas Asante. I mean, actually, I felt that we looked more threatening up front with Thomas Asante because his energy and his aggression gave us something. But the one area where I'd say Corbrand may have given himself a problem, a good problem, is Rogic and Swift, because Rogic, as he's showed with his goal against Sunderland, as he showed with his through ball against Rotherham is a really class player at championship level, a game changer at championship level. So he obviously wants to accommodate him. Swift, though, has played well in the hole behind the striker since Corbran came, and that's his natural position. Swift had to drop deeper against Rotherham, and I'm not sure that we saw the best of him for that reason. So it freed up Rogic in a way, and Rogic made the impact but I hope it doesn't impact too much on Swift because, in a sense, in that position, we've got an embarrassment of riches. We are very, very blessed in that midfield area. There's been suggestion in the transfer window that we might be after John Russell from Huddersfield as well. So I don't know where we'd accommodate another midfielder, but in Corbran we trust. I don't know where we'll get the money from, to be honest, um, unless that loan comes back. I'm sure we'll touch on that later. The squad's okay. A couple of maybe additions wouldn't go amiss. I think what it shows is that actually, if there's one thing to Steve Bruce's credit, he actually brought reasonably well in the summer. And we have been critical of Bruce, and I think that's perfectly validated given what's gone on. But those signings who 
came in during the summer are now playing better under um, Corbyn. I mean, Wallace looked fantastic against Rotherham. The delivery from the right, every single time we looked a threat. And with DK playing up front, we just thought a bit more sharpness, a bit more thought sometimes in his movements. We might have made more of that. But, you know, I've got no issues with Swift playing where he has been. I think Yakushalu plays a really key role in that because he binds that midfield together and gives other players a licence to maybe roam a little bit more freely. And, of course, Phillips is a part of that next to him because it, with Phillips playing a little bit deeper, it does give those players more licence. And I think we're seeing the benefit of that. And next game, we play Coventry. I think the team might be slightly different. We then play Bristol City on Boxing Day. Again, we can probably expect changes there. So I look at the team. I'm getting at a point now where I don't even worry what the team selection will be because I know that there is a surplus on that bench that can do something if things aren't quite going to plan during the opening 45 minutes as we saw at Sunderland, or if we threaten a team like we did against a very poor Rotherham side, then we can make changes and save players for the next game. It's it's a really good position to be in right now. In terms of the January window, and obviously that does assume that we have any cash to spend, I would like to see a centre-half signed. We talked about this in the summer, Albion's lack of cover in that position. Now, Peters has done a, a reasonable job in the breach with Bartley being injured. Bartley's done well since Corbrand came, but I think that a commanding centre-half, a player like Matt Clark, who we had last season, could make all the difference going into the second half of the season. We've been linked with Ryan Porteous, who is out of contract at the end of the season at Hibernian. Because he's out of contract and he would go free at the end of the season, the suggestion is that Hibs might be willing to let him go at a cut price. So I've not seen Porteous. I don't know how good he is, but he has good word of mouth. But I would like to see a sign a dominant centre-half. And the other area where I think we can improve is in the wing-back positions. I don't think either Furlong or Townsend has covered themselves in glory over the last couple of years. And I've seen a lot of Furlong. I like some of his game. I like his energy up and down the wing. And if he's just asked to get up and down and ping across in now and again, he's okay. But I do feel that we can do better in that position. Whether that happens in January or not, I don't know. I saw a moment as well when Townsend was in a great position to cross from the left in the second half. There were two or three players in the middle and he hit it so hard, it would have knocked a player's head off and they got in the way. I know that's only one moment in a game. But again, if you're looking to improve the squad over time, I think wing-back is an area, both right and left, where we can improve. Well, I think when we play with a four, they become full-backs. And I think that's actually where their weakness lies. I think as wing-backs, they're probably better suited. Certainly Furlong is because they had that attacking impetus. Yeah, I, I do agree. Maybe we need some kind of improvement there, whether it's via the loan system or permanently. I'd like to think that there is also an eye on potentially next season. And what I mean by that is that this season is by no means a write-off in terms of our promotion ambitions. And I don't think we should necessarily think short-term over this. I think we need to look at a bigger picture and, and say, well, if things keep going the way we are, we're going to be in a strong position to maybe challenge for that top six. 
and that needs to come into that our thinking around recruitment i think if we're going to recruit now then we maybe need to maybe the loan market might be a better option to go down rather than go down the pathway of, of looking at players who are suited to the championship because i'd like to think there is still an ambition there and i'm sure there is to get back into the top flight at the earliest opportunity and well it's a strange thing isn't it if we beat coventry on wednesday i mean this is astonishing we will rise eight places in the table and we'll be eighth it's it's unthinkable at the moment we're still in that kind of recovering from the relegation threat phase but against a coventry team who threw away a three nil lead at the weekend we go there thinking if we can win, we're up to eighth. And I think there is a real sense about the team and about the amongst the fans now that we are on the march, that something special is happening. And I know we have listeners all over the world to this podcast and people who listen who sometimes could get to the game but choose not to for no doubt very good reasons of their own. I'm not being critical of them. But what I would say is if you can get to the stadium over the next few months, do it, because I think something special is yeah. taking shape at the Hawthorns. I really do. One final note of caution, though, when I was doing the Liquidator Live after the Rotherham game, somebody posed the question, when was the last time an Albion manager made this impact upon arrival? And somebody mentioned a manager who won five games in a row, including a caretaker spell when they took over. In fact, on on later inspection, that turned out to be six games in a row. So six game winning start for a manager. Do you know who it was? I'm thinking, and this was going to be my <laughs> trivia question. I'm, uh-huh. thinking I'm thinking it's Brian Talbot. It was Brian Talbot, yeah. Yeah. whose career as Albion manager ended in ignominy with an FA Cup defeat against Woking. Yeah, Brian Talbot, I don't think was particularly suited. He also inherited a team that should have been punching a lot higher from Ron Atkinson, when he started to instill some of his own ideas and he changed the methods and the way we played, we went from being a quite progressive footballing side to being quite a direct side. And he swapped he swapped Stuart Pearson with Sam Allardyce, made Sam Allardyce number two. I think you can see the direction we started to go in under Talbot. I can't see Corbran doing that. He seems to be quite a cultured studious man when it comes to the way he wants his football played. Uh, it reminded me of on Saturday watching him of a little bit of Andre Biash-Boash. He was always crouched down, looking utterly nervous, utterly absorbed by what was in front of him. And he's an impressive guy at the moment. And he deserves a lot of credit for transforming us because Bilic started off very well. But Bilic took over a team that had got to the playoffs the previous year. You mentioned Tool, but well, Talbot had a good side inherited by what Ron Atkinson had built up. The mess that Corbrand took over, he probably took over a better team than we give it credit for, but it was on its knees when he took over and, and it needed quick, decisive action. And, and he's he's done that, he's provided that and credit to him. One other thing I want to mention was the atmosphere at the ground. It was a little bit flat. It was partly because of the game. It was also because there were three moments of reflection on the lives of people who had died. And I'm not criticising that, by the way. I think it's really important that people who've had an association with the Albion or sometimes who haven't, but whose lives and loss touches us in some way are remembered. So we had before the game, the club doctor, Mr Wooderson, was remembered. 
Then at four minutes, the children who died in that tragic accident at Babs Mill in Solihull. And then on the 16th minute, another minute's applause for a young woman who was associated with the Albion fan zone. As I say, I'm not being critical of the club at all for marking the passing of those people. But I think it did make for a, a slightly deflated atmosphere because... I think it does remind you that there are more important things than football and brings you down to earth. On the other hand, I will say that the music offering at the Hawthorns this season is great. I know that Sean Kesey, who is a regular listener of this podcast, has had a hand in shaking it up alongside Matt, who's a good guy who's done it for years. But before the game, I walked into the sounds of sweet caroline they were trying to get the crowd going there was a, a track called fabulous a kind of gay anthem at the start of the second half but then we also had a live performance on the pitch from tom from west brom who i bumped into once singing a song about cyril regis in a pub called the navigation in oldbury and there he was on the hawthorns pitch doing it and singing a christmas song as well and i think it's clear this season they've really attempted at the Albion to try and mix up the music offer. The fact that they featured a local artist on the pitch as well, I think was really, really positive. So full credit to the club for trying to do something with the music and just, just shake it up a little bit, make it less predictable, make it a bit more fun as well, and a bit more inclusive of the, the local musical community. Also, add in, in terms of the atmosphere, it is absolutely bloody freezing right now. I don't think anyone has got any effort to do anything that requires too much effort. You know, it's that time of year where um, we're having parties and we're, we're doing things around Christmas and whatnot. So I'll take on board your, your comments about the, the tributes. I think the tributes are important and, and I'm really glad the club did that. It's really tragic to hear about the, the death of... Dr. Widowson and the young lady who worked in the fan zone and, of course, the, the four children. Absolutely dreadful. Absolutely awful. So it's good the club marked that, but I guess that's always the danger when you sort of break from the the, the norm of a game to, to reflect on something like that. But I do honestly think it was, <laughs> it was the temperature, just people freezing and... It wasn't the most exciting of games, even though Albion win, it all felt a little bit routine. Not a criticism, by the way, because it was a good performance, but it wasn't, Rotherham didn't exactly bring much to the table, shall we say. No, I think their first effort, I clocked at 78 minutes, and uh, they're a club, I, I really like the New York Stadium, got a lot of time for Rotherham, had a really good away day, I think four years ago, when we won 4-0. So I want them to stay at our level, but I don't think they will. I think they look a, a little bit doomed, a little bit uh, hangdog, it has to be said. They were not very good. So whether or not Albion have money to spend in the transfer window relies in part, you suspect, on whether Guchan Lai pays back the £5 million that he borrowed from the club. This was the quote at the time, by the way. And I say the time... This is around the time when the loan became known, which was only around June of this year. Regrettably, the COVID-19 pandemic saw my international businesses suffer, particularly those in the hospitality and entertainment sector, which experienced an almost complete closure for long periods. And in March 2021, I received a loan from the football club. Well, we're closing in now on two years since that loan was made. We're three months short of it. It was due to be repaid last year. 
he defaulted on that repayment. Now it's due to be paid by the end of this year. We'll see if the money is repaid. But if people wonder why, in the midst of a, a goal celebration, because we scored in the 56th minute against Rotherham, why a minute later so many fans were getting their mobile phones out and shining a light, well, that's why. We don't know the circumstances in which the loan was made. We don't know the full details of the repayment schedule and the punishment for any default if this December deadline is missed. Our owner, who was supposed to invest in our football club, has taken money out of the club and not repaid it, which must damage our ability to compete in the transfer market unless it is repaid. Yeah, our controlling shareholder. We're getting to that point where we're starting to tap our watches, aren't we? Looking over, thinking, yeah, come on, come on, repay it. I can't stress enough, we need promotion this season. I think that once again, we've had another national journalist take a big interest in this. John Percy produced a, a great appraisal of the situation as it is at the moment, as it stands. Corbyn does need backing. We know that he left Huddersfield because there were issues there, finances. We mustn't put ourselves in that position with that in mind. But also, it just concerns me, the financial situation at the club concerns me quite greatly and I think it's important that while we're celebrating wins and enjoying the football it's important that this pressure is maintained not only by people like ourselves chatting about it but by supporters at the stadium doing their bit during the match by voicing their concerns by taking a form of peaceful protest it cannot be stressed enough we're in a bit of trouble financially on the back of all of this and whether that loan will be repaid remains to be seen we could do with it but it is a cause for for great concern right now yeah let us not forget either people sometimes refer to our chinese owners the first loan taken out of west bromwich albion for non-footballing reasons, was taken out by Jeremy Peace, not a Chinese owner, an English owner. Peace took out £3.7 million in the summer of 2014 for his own company, West Bromwich Albion Holdings Limited. That money has never been repaid. Now, it is now Gertrude debt, but it was Jeremy Peace's. He has said that the loan was made on advantageous commercial terms for the Albion. Well, there's not much advantage if the debt hasn't been repaid, has it? So the question marks about how Albion are run behind the scenes predate our current owners. But it it highlights for me why football needs a proper independent regulator. But in any event, money has gone from our football club, £10 million worth of it, first from peace, then from lie, which has not been repaid. And that damages our ability to compete in the transfer market. And let's not forget that as we celebrate great wins, as you say, Chris, as we marvel at the transformation that Corboran has brought, we do have to remember as well that things are not entirely as they should be on the financial side of the club. Talking of money, by the way, I think it's a timely moment to recommend if you've got any spare cash if you just want to help out people in the local community are finding it really hard to get by then smedic food bank does help some of the neediest members of the community closest to the hawthorns they're after donations of food contributions of toiletries volunteers as well 
So find out where you can drop off your food donations at smethic.foodbank.org.uk. smethic.foodbank.org.uk. World Cup, quick sum up, Chris. I've loved it. I've really enjoyed it, actually. There are aspects I've not been comfortable with. Those are well publicised by other journalists who are out there. But I've loved the football and I've really enjoyed the seeing the rise of Morocco, seeing Croatia. I was sad at England's plight. I felt they had a really good potential pathway. If only they could have played another country and not France at that quarterfinal stage. I think they would have progressed further than they did. And seeing Germany go out in the group stage is also quite funny. <laughs> Second time in a row, yeah. that is. I mean, crikey, it's crisis time now, if ever I've seen it. But I I have really liked watching it. It's been different watching it in the cold, watching it against the backdrop of a build-up to Christmas and the domestic campaign being sliced in half. I've actually felt a little bit... I found it strange that they brought the championship back while there were still games going on. I really wanted to watch that third-place playoff because I, I felt... And, and quite rightly, as it turns out, it was going to be a great game. So there have been really good aspects of the World Cup. I hope that future World Cups are managed differently in terms of who gets them and who warrants getting them, because we know all the issues around Qatar and their human rights record. But as a footballing spectacle, it has been very good. Right then, the trivia question, which was World Cup related. It was indeed well remembered. I asked who the four Albion players were who played at the 2010 World Cup and who were the two Nigeria squad members who were to join Albion at a later date. Christopher Smith says the four players at the World Cup were Yara, Woods, Tamas, Corran. Not quite. No. Tamas, no. This is from Kurt Howitt. He says, I believe the four players who've been playing for WBA while representing their country in the 2010 World Cup, were Marek Cech, Rob Corrin, Chris Wood, Gonzalo Hara. Correct, yep. And these other players have previously or would go on to represent WBA in their careers. The two Nigerians he mentions are Odom Wingy and Kanu. No, no, Odom Wingy's correct. In fact, Odom Wingy joined a few weeks later. One more then. This is from Stuart Hall. Says Brownie Day is the other Nigerian. Correct, yeah. Ah, brilliant. Now, I've already ruined your trivia question. (laughs) I've already ruined your trivia question. So have you got one for us anyway? Yeah, because I'm fairly confident that by the time we record our next one, we'll have beaten Coventry and we'll be looking at our seventh straight. So who, if there ever has been, who was the manager who led Albion to seven successive victories? The last Albion manager to claim seven successive victories. Okay, And it might not have happened, to be quite honest with you. I'm going to have to um, phone a few people who might know. But if if you do know, and if it has happened, please do let me know. (laughs) All right. He asks a question that he doesn't know the answer to, but that's fair enough because I kiboshed his real question. Uh, Who has a manager led Albion to seven consecutive victories? Drop me an email to goldbergradio at gmail.com. Don't put it on social media because it spoils it for everybody else. Goldbergradio at gmail.com and put trivia question in your header and I will uh, try and remember to read it out next time. Before we go, just to say, make a date in your diary. March the 9th, there will be a Liquidator live event. 
at the Green Duck Brewery in Stourbridge. Me and Chris will be there, plus special guests yet to be announced. Yet to be announced because we haven't actually asked them, but, you know, it'll be a good night. So check out the Green Duck Brewery site, March the 9th, the Liquidator Live. There'll be a quiz, there'll be a bit of a QA, and a and there'll be a night of good roistering fun, I imagine, Chris. Yep, looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. Take care now. Cheers. Trap.